Record 7, An Eyelash, Taylor, Henbane and Lily of the Valley. It's night, green, orange, blue, a red royal instrument, a yellow-orange dress. Then, a bronze Buddha. Suddenly, it's raised its bronze eyelids and juice started to flow, juice out of the Buddha. Then out of the yellow dress, too, juice. Juices ran all over the mirror, and the bed began to ooze juice, and then it came from the children's little beds, and now from me, too, some kind of fatally sweet horror. I wake up, mild, bluish light. The glass walls, the glass armchairs, the glass were all glistening, this was reassuring. My heart stopped hammering. Juice? Buddha? What kind of nonsense? It was clear. I was sick. I never used to dream. They say in the old days it was the most normal thing in the world to have dreams, which makes sense. Their whole life was some kind of horrible merry-go-round of green-orange Buddha juice. But today, we know that dreams point to a serious mental illness and I know that up to now my brain has checked out chronom chronometrically perfect a mechanism without a speck of dust to dull its shine and now what now what I feel there is in my brain is just like some kind of foreign body like having a very thin little eyelash in your eye you feel generally okay but the eye, with the lash in it, you can't get it off your mind for a second. The cheerful, cheerful little crystal bell in my headboard drink, dings 7am, time to get up. To the right and left through the glass walls, I see something like my own self, my own room, my own clothes, my own movements, and all repeated a thousand times. It cheers you up. You see yourself as part of an immense, powerful, single thing. And such a precise beauty it is. Not a wasted gesture. Bend. Turn. No doubt about it. That tailor was the genius of an genius of antiquity. It never finally occurred to him to extend his method over the whole of life. Over every step you take right round the clock. He was able to integrate into his system the whole spread from hour one to hour 24. But still, how could they write whole libraries about someone like Kant and hardly even notice Taylor, the prophet who could see 10 centuries ahead? Breakfast is over. The one state anthem harmoniously sung, harmoniously four abreast, Everyone to the elevators, hum of the engines, hardly audible. Down, 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 heart nearly in your throat. And then suddenly the stupid dream, or maybe some concealed function of that dream. Oh yes, it was being in the aero yesterday too. Same descent, but all that's finished, period. Good thing too, that was... That's, that I was blunt and firm with her. In the subway car, I was speeding 
to where the elegant body of the integral was gleaming on its stocks, shining in the sun and not yet alive with its own fire. With my eyes closed, I was in a reverie of formulas. Once more, I mentally calculated the initial velocity needed to tear the integral away from Earth. Second by second, as the explosive fuel diminishes, the mass of the integral changes. The equation is extremely complex, the values transcendental. As though in a dream, while I was here in the world of hard figures, someone sat down beside me, someone brushed lightly against me and said, Sorry. I half opened my eyes, and at first I saw associations carried over from the integral, something flying into space, ahead, and it was flying because on the sides it had ears like pink wings. Then the curve of the head bent over, a curved back, double curved, the, the letter S. And through the glass walls of my algebraic world, there was again that eyelash, something unpleasant, something that today I had to... Please, think nothing of it, I said, smiling at my neighbour and nodding to him. On his badge was a bright number, S-4711. I could, I could see why from the very first he was connected in my mind with the letter S. It was a visual impression beneath the threshold of consciousness, and his eyes flashed, two sharp drills whirling rapidly, screwing deeper and deeper down until they drilled to the very bottom and saw what I wouldn't even let myself. Suddenly, I knew what that eyelash was. He was one of them, one of the guardians. What could be simpler? Stop putting it off and tell him everything right now. I, um, you see, I was at the ancient house yesterday. My voice was strange, flat, squashed. I tried clearing my throat. <clears throat> so, that's excellent. That furnishes material for a lot of edifying conclusions. But you see, I wasn't alone. I was with I-330 and what? I-330, good for you, very interesting. Talented woman, she has a lot of admirers. But he too, back during the walk, and maybe he was even assigned to her. No, I couldn't tell him. It was unthinkable. That was clear. Right, right, you said it. Very, my smile got wider and stupider, and it made me feel like a naked idiot. The drills went right to the bottom of my soul, and then turned around and drilled their way back up to the eyes. S smiled, a double smile at me, bowed and slipped away to the exit. I hid behind the newspaper. It seemed to me everyone was looking at me, and soon I read something that upset me so much I forgot all about the eyelash, the drills and everything. It was one short line. Reliable sources report the discovery once again of signs pointing to an elusive organisation whose goal is liberation from the beneficent yoke of the state. Liberation? Astonishing how the criminal instincts do survive in the human species. I choose the word criminal advisedly. Freedom and criminality are just as indissolubly linked as, well as the movement of an arrow and its velocity. When the velocity of an arrow is reduced to 
zero. It is not in motion. When a man's freedom is reduced to zero, he commits no crimes. That's clear. The only means to rid man of crime is to rid him of freedom. And now, when we'd only just managed to get rid of it, in the cosmic scale of things, centuries amount to only just. Suddenly, some pathetic morons... No, I don't see why I didn't go immediately yesterday to the Bureau of Guardians. Today, after 1600 hours, I'll go for sure. At 16.10, I went out, and the first thing I saw was O standing on the corner, all pink with pleasure, over, overrun, overrunning into me. Now, she, now she's got a simple round mind, I thought, just what I needed. She'll understand me and support me. But, wait, no, I don't need any support. I've got my mind made up. The pipes of the music factory were harmoniously booming out the march. The good old daily march. You can't find the words of how charming that is. That dailiness, that repetition, that mirror image. Oh, took my hand. A walk? Her round, her round, like, her round blue eyes opened wide to me. Those windows into the core of her being. And through them, I enter in. Nothing in my way, since there is nothing there. Nothing that is strange or useless. No, no walk. I've got to. And I told her where I was going. And to my surprise, I saw the pink circle of her mouth turn into a pink crescent with the corners turned down. As if she'd tasted something sour, I blew up. You women numbers, you're so prejudiced, it's hopeless. You absolutely, you absolutely cannot think abstractly. I'm sorry, but that's just stupid. You're, you're going to the spies, huh? and I was just going to bring you this brunch of Lily of the Valley from the, bu from the Botanical Museum. Why? And I... Where did you get that? And... Just like a woman, I grabbed her flowers angrily, admit it. Okay, take your lily of the valley, okay? Have a smell. Nice, right? Now please try to follow this little bit of logic, alright? Lily of the valley smells nice, agreed? But you cannot say about smell. I'm talking about the concept smell, that it is good or bad, right? That you cannot repeat not do, right? There's this that there's the smell of Lily of the Valley, and then there's the nasty smell of henbane. They're both of them smells. There, there were spies in the ancient states, and we have spies. That's right, spies. The word doesn't scare me, but that's but but what is clear is this: their spies were were henbane. Ours were Lily of the Valley. That's what I said. Lily of the Valley. The pink crescent trembled. I understood now that I was wrong, but at the time I thought she was, she was about to laugh. So I shouted even louder, "Yes, Lily of the Valley!" And there's nothing. And there's nothing funny. Nothing funny. Smooth round glo globs of, he of heads were floating past, past us and turning to look. Oh, gently took me by the arm. What's got into you today? Are you sick? Dream yellow Buddha. It suddenly became clear to me that I ought to go to the medical bureau. You know, you're right. I am sick. I said this very ha happily, which is an inexplicable contradiction.
there was nothing to be happy about. So you should go to the doctor at once. You know, well, very well, it's your, your duty to be healthy. It's, ridic it's ridiculous even talking about it. Oh, darling, of course you're right. Absolutely right. I did not go to the Bureau of Gardens. The Bureau of Guardians. I couldn't help it. I had to go to the Medical Bureau where they kept me until 1,700 hours. And that evening, it doesn't, it doesn't matter anyway. They're closed in the evening. That evening, O came to my place. We didn't, let the blind, we didn't let the blinds down. We worked on some problems from an old book of problems. That calms you down and cleans out your thoughts. O-90 sat over the notebook, her head leaning toward her left shoulder and making such an effort that her tongue was pushing her left cheek out. She looked like a such a child, so charming, and, and so I felt good all over, clear, simple. She left and I was alone. I took two deep breaths, which is very good for you, before going to sleep. And then all of a sudden I caught a whiff of something I didn't expect. Something that reminded me of something unpleasant. I soon found it. A stem of lily of the valley had been hidden in my, in my bed. Immediately something rose up from the bottom. Something, some whirlwind. Not, no, really, that was simply tack, tactless of her, hiding that flower on me. All right then, I didn't go. But I'm not to blame that I'm sick. Record 8 the irrational root, R-13, triangle. How long ago was it? In my school years. That's when V-I first happened to me. It's so clear it seems chiselled. I remember the bright globular, globular auditorium, the hundreds of round boyish heads, and Pliapa, our maths teacher. We nicknamed him Pliapa. He was already pretty much used up and fallen apart by that time. And whenever the person on duty would connect the plug to him, the loudspeaker would always start with what sounded like Pliapa, Playa, Chish, Chish. And only when we'd get the lesson, and only then we'd get the lesson. Once Pliapa told us about irrational numbers, and I remember how I cried. I beat my fists on the table and bawled. I don't want V hyphen I. Take it out of me, this V hyphen I. That irrational root grew in me like some alien thing, strange and terrifying, and it was eating me, and you couldn't make any sense of it or neutralise it because it was completely beyond ratio. And now here's that V hyphen I again. I've looked over these records of mine, and it's clear to me that I've been fooling myself I've been lying to myself, and all because I didn't want to see that V hyphen I. That's all nonsense about me being sick and so on. I couldn't have gone there. A week ago, I know I would have gone without a second thought. So why do I, know, why do I now? Why? Same today. At 16.10 on the dot, I was standing in front of the gleaming glass wall, Above me was the golden, sunny, pure shining of the letters of the bureau sign. Inside, through the glass, I could see a lot of light blue unis waiting in line. I could see faces glimmering like icon lamps in an old church. 
These were the people who had come to perform a, her a heroic duty. They had come to lay on the altar of one state their loved ones, their friends, even themselves. And as for me, I was dying to go to, go to them, to be with them. And I couldn't. My feet were sunk deep in the glass pavement. I stood there looking stupid, unable to budge from the spot. Hey, mathematician, you're dreaming. I shuddered. The face looking at me had dark eyes shining f and dark eyes shining from laughing and thick African lips. It was the poet R-13, an old friend, and my rosy O was with him. I turned around angrily. I think that they hadn't interfered hadn't they interfered I'd managed to tear that V hyphen high I out of me with the with the meat still on it. I'd have gone into the bureau. I wasn't dreaming, I said rather sharply. I was admiring. Of course, of course. Listen, my friend, you've got no business being a mathematician. You're a poet. A poet. No, really, come over and join us poets. How about it? I'll fix it up for you in a minute. R-13 chokes with excitement. When he talks and the words come bursting out of him, out of those thick lips in sprays. Every P is a fountain. The word poets is a real fountain. I have served and will continue to serve knowledge. I said frowning. I don't like I don't like or understand jokes, and jokes are a bad habit with R hyphen thirteen. Knowledge what does that mean? Your knowledge is nothing but cowardice. No, really, that's all it is. You just want to put a little wall around infinity and, you, and you're afraid to look on the other side of that wall. It's the truth. You look and you screw up your eyes. You do. Walls, I began. Walls are the basis of everything human. Ah, spluttered like a fountain. O gave, o gave her round pink little laugh. I waved my hand, meaning go on and laugh. Who cares? I had no time for that. I had to get something to wash that damned V hyphen I down to drown it out. You know what, I proposed. Let's go to my place. Let's sit around and work on problems. I was thinking I was thinking of that quiet hour we'd spent yesterday and hoping we might have one today too. O glanced at R and then turned her turned her round, clear gaze on me. Her cheeks taking on the tender, exciting colour of our sex day tickets. But today, today I have a ticket for him, she said, nodding toward R. And he's busy this and he's busy this evening, so he made a good natured sound with his damp, shiny lips. What's the problem? Half an hour half an hour's all we we'll need, right? Oh, I don't really feel like working on your problems, but why don't we just go to my place and sit around? I was terrified of being left in my own company, or rather in the company of that new unknown me, who got my D-503 only by some weird coincidence. And so I went to his place, to ours. It's true that he is not, as, not a precise person, not rhythmical, and his logic is ridiculous, inside out, but still... We're friends. 
It wasn't by accident that he and I both chose that dear pink O three years ago. That somehow brought us even closer together than all our school years. We went to R's room to look at it. You'd think that everything was just exactly like my place. Same table on the wall and the armchairs, table, chest, bed all made with the same glass. But R had hardly entered before he moved one of the easy chairs, then the other, and the planes were dis dislocated. Everything slipped out of the prescribed co correlation, correlation and became non eulidian R will never change. Never. In Taylor and in math, he was always in the bottom of the class. We talked about old Pliapa, about how we boys used to stick little thank you notes all over his glass legs. We, we really loved old Pliapa. We talked about the law professor. The law professor had a defeatingly loud voice, a real blast of sound came out of his loudspeaker and we boys would bellow the texts along with him. We recalled how that crazy R-13 once chewed up some paper in his mouth and then rammed it down the mouthpiece and how with every text a, spit, a spitball would shoot out. R was punished, of course, what we did what we did was a dirty trick of course but now we laughed over it our whole triangle laughed all of us including i admit it me and when if the law professor had been a live human being like teachers in the old world what a panic and the p and the p meant a shower from from the thick lips there was sun coming through the ceiling and walls sunlight from above from the sides and reflected from below. O was sitting on R-13's lap and there were little drops of sunlight in her blue eyes. I felt warmer and somehow better. The V-I eased off and lay quiet. Hey, how's your integral doing? We're flying off to enlighten the inhabitants of other planets anytime soon? You'd better get a move on if you don't want us poets to write more than your integral can lift off with. Every day from 800 to 1100, R shook his head and scratched the back of it. From the rear, his head looks like it, 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 it has a, a little square suitcase attached to it. It reminds me of an old painting called In the Carriage. This woke me up. Oh, are you also writing something for the integral? What about... What what would you write about today, for instance? Today? Nothing, he said. Had other plans. And another pee. Another shower in my face. What plans? R frowned. What? What? Nothing. Okay, if you must know, it was a verdict. I had to put a verdict into verse. Some idiot and one of us poets too. For two years... We sit next to each other and he seems okay. And then suddenly something snaps. I'm a genius, he says. A genius above the law. And the stuff he wrote, ah, to hell with it. His thick lips drooped and his eyes grew dull. R-13 jumped up, turned away and fixed his gaze somewhere beyond the, by, beyond the wall. I looked at that tightly locked little suitcase of his and wondered. 
what thoughts are turning over now in that little case? There was a mix of awkward, asymmetrical silence. It was clear to me what was going on, but something was... Thank goodness, I said, deliberately raising my voice. The antediluvian times of all those Shakespeare's and Dostoevsky's, or whatever you call them, are over. R turned his head. The words spurted out of him like a fountain, as always, but I thought the twinkle in his eye was gone. Yes, my dear mathematician, thank goodness, thank goodness, thank goodness. We are the happiest, happiest of arithmetical means. As you people put it, integrated from zero to infinity, from the cretin to Shakespeare, right? I don't know why, it just seemed to come out of nowhere, but I thought of that woman, of her tone of voice, a very thin thread of some kind stretched between her and R. What kind of thread? I could feel the V hyphen I begin to stir in me again. I opened my badge, 1625. They had 45 minutes left on their pink ticket. Well, time I was going, I said, and I gave O a kiss, shook hands with R and went to the elevator. I was already crossing to the other side of the avenue when I looked back. In the bright sun-drenched mass of the glass building, you could see here and there the, the grey, blue, opaque cages where the blinds were down, the cages of rhythmic, tailorized happiness. My eyes stretched out R-13's cage on the seventh, seventh floor. He'd already lowered the blinds. Dear O, dear R. There's something in him, too. Why, too, I don't know, but let it stand as written. Something in him, too, that, that isn't quite clear to me. Still, he and O and I were a triangle, maybe not isosceles, but still a triangle. If you want to put it in the language of our ancestors, a language that might be more understandable to you, my planetary readers, we're a family. And sometimes it is a good test, even if not for long, to lock yourself up in a strong, simple triangle away from all of that. This is Nick Treadwell and you are listening to Nick Treadwell's Storyville.